I'm going to try to do the impossible today. I'm going to try to take something extraordinarily ordinary and make it extraordinary. I'm going to try to give us a glimpse of one of the most amazing days in all of history, which we can take on our own and simply go, oh, or if God opens our eyes and allows us to see it for what it really is, it'll radically change your entire life. Let me ask you a question, and don't answer out loud, because you'll make me sad. That's why I won't answer out loud. Is there anywhere else you would rather be this morning, right now, than here? Okay, don't answer that out loud, unless you want to say no. Perhaps sleeping, it's a nice day, maybe sitting out on the deck, sipping some coffee, watching the trees, maybe out for a hike, or a ride in the countryside, or, or who knows what. Is there anywhere else you'd rather be than here today? Now, what I want to do is help us. It's not all going to happen today. I guarantee you that. I want to help us understand why this is the most awesome place that we could be on a Sunday morning. Why the relationship we have with God as Christians is the single most exciting, wonderful, awesome thing we have. And why to live in obedience to God is the greatest gift He can entrust to us. And we're going to begin, and it's going to happen over a series of weeks and months and years, and it starts well in the book of Acts, to see who God really is, who He has made us, and why. Because we have radically lost focus of this. Not us alone. Us in particular as American Christians, I believe. So we're going to look at Acts 2. I think Acts 2 is the best known, least understood passage in the New Testament, if not all of the Bible. Acts 2 is a Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes. You guys know that people talking in, in tongues, wind, and fire shows up. A bunch of people come to faith, and it just kind of flies by. You read it too quickly. It's like, wah, 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 wah. Great. Can we go home now? Well, what I want to do is, is take a slow motion approach. Being that football starts today, you know, when there's a great play, they slow it down. You, you, you watch the, the person jump in the air, and they show you how the ball enters their hand, and how they fold their hand over it and bring it in as they crash into the ground. and They slow it down so you can look at the beauty of the play as it takes place. We're going to slow down Acts 2. Now I have, we're going through 1 through 13, and you'll have to forgive me if I only make it to 4. I'm shooting for 13, but we may only make it to 4. You might miss the Eagles game. And like I said, we're not going to want to be here more than anywhere else just today. So, maybe next season, but today I'll get you out in time. I'm going to show you in this text, one why, two what's, and a few hows. And that's the title of your sermon. That's called, The Exhausted, Booted-Footed Pastor Needing a Title on a Sermon. And I called it, uh, what you got there? Do you guys have the right bulletins there? Okay, I grabbed the wrong one. So let's get into the text, and I'll begin to unpack it. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Let's pray before we unpack it. Father, we know that you give us your word for many reasons, one of which is so that we might know you more fully for who you are, and ourselves for who we were and who we've become through Christ. I pray today you would give us ears to hear your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray you would teach us from your word, that you would use me as a vessel to speak through and reveal the wonderful truths of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came. I find that most people think Pentecost is this day. The day the Holy Spirit came. The the birthday of the church. But you do know Pentecost existed before this day. Now, does anyone know what Pentecost is? It wasn't first called Pentecost Sunday. Any idea what Pentecost is? If not, I'm up a creek because I didn't look it up. If you were to go back to Leviticus 23, which I'm assuming most of you have memorized by now, you'll see in Leviticus 23 a series of feasts. You'll recognize the first one. It's called Passover. Before I explain these feasts to you, you remember Jesus after he uh, rose? He was on the road to Emmaus with some disciples. Do you remember what he did on the road to Emmaus? They didn't recognize him. He didn't reveal himself to them. But he taught them who the Christ was from the Old Testament scriptures. The reason I bring that up is you do understand everything in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Christ. These are not random stories that just coincidentally happen. This is God's perfect orchestration of history pointing forward to what Christ would do. So when we look at these feasts, like Passover, you understand Passover wasn't just some random thing that happened to stand alone. Passover has some pretty clear parallels to Christ, doesn't it? In Passover, we celebrate the Jewish people's exodus from Egypt. They left Egypt, and when the angel of death came in and did what to the houses with the blood painted on them? Passed over them, right? Well, the blood of Christ is applied to us. And because the blood of Christ is applied to us as believers, we've passed over from death to life. That's what John tells us. That's what Romans 6 tells us. When we look at all of these feasts in the past, they find their fulfillment in Christ. And Pentecost is no different. Pentecost is in Leviticus 23. You can read in a little more detail what it is. But I'll tell you, it's the wheat first fruit harvest. It is when the the people go out into the field and and reap the first fruits of the wheat. And the reason they did this is because the first fruits would show them what the rest of the crop would be like. And they would take the wheat in at Pentecost, the shafts of wheat, and they would mash them together, and they would put them, form them into two loaves of bread, unified loaves of bread. You see what's going on here? They take a bunch of wheat, individual wheat shafts, they mash them together into a new unified thing. A loaf of bread. Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes. It's the birthday of the church. Do you know what the birthday of the church means? It means the wheat. You know the wheat and the tares if you're a uh, King James person. Or the wheat and the weeds if you're reading the ESV. You know that parable? And Jesus said that the farmer let them grow together until the day of harvest. So as believers, you know what we are? We're wheat. 
And do you know what Pentecost is? It's when the Holy Spirit comes, the church starts, and the church is when God takes all the individual pieces of wheat and forms them together into one not loaf of bread, but one body called the church. Do you see that? That's why Pentecost. This was not a random event. This is Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, the wheat first fruits, in celebration of the harvest of the wheat that would come in full time, and in the intermediate portion, you have the loaf of bread being used as a wave offering. Folks, you do understand what we are as a church, right? Now, this is where I think we've kind of lost it. So, so pay attention here for a moment, if you would. We're, we're part of the first fruits leading up to the harvest, but, but the role of a church. What is the role of a church? You know John 13, 34 through 35? says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Do you know who he's telling them to love when he says love one another? Who's to focus on? The second verse gives it away. By this, they, the world, will know that you, by loving one another, are my disciples. You know what the church is meant to be? The body of Christ in this world while he's at the right hand of God. We are to represent Christ to the world, and in part we do that as we love one another. Now, this takes the American church and it flips it upside down. Because what we've done is we've gone to this consumeristic Christianity. That is not my term. There are much wiser people who have written books called that. Um, but what we've done is we've turned the church into a, an entity to serve me. Here's what I want. Here's, I like this one. It has these programs. It can do this to me. I have no need to get invested in it. So I'll use this one until a better product comes along. You don't really love anybody that way, do you? You're not really part of a knit-together cohesive unit, are you? This is one of the things I love most about our church, is we can do, we're, we're in, in measure doing that. We're getting to know each other. We're investing in one another. We're loving one another. And as we do that, God says the world will notice. How will the world notice? We'll talk about it in a bit. But we're to love one another so people will know that we are Christ's disciples. When Jesus' body, physical body, left the earth, body two showed up. What's body two? The Pentecost birthday body. The church body. You do understand the church is not here to serve you. Right? We as a church are here to serve Christ together. Now this gets hard. Love one another as I have loved you. So what Jesus did... He found a bunch of people he, he liked who were just like him that he could tolerate, who treated him nicely, and he hung out with him, and he was nice to him, right? Dang, no. He loves us by sacrificially giving up what was rightfully his for others. Who wants to do that? Who here wants to put other people before yourself? Live for other people and not yourself. Now, that doesn't sound so exciting, does it? Who here would be get, willing to give up something extraordinarily dear to them for someone else? because they need it. Who would lay down their life for someone else? That's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? Jesus says, if you don't love your brother, you don't have the love of Christ in you. And I want a little bit of tension to exist here. I'm not here to try to disprove anyone's profession of faith, because I have a little problem with this too. There are people I don't love. But what I'm saying is, we need to see what's going on. There's a radical event that took place here. The Holy Spirit came. Why? Well, for a lot of reasons, but if you look at 1.8, in, in Acts 1.8, it says, 
You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. We exist as a church to be a witness of Christ to the world. How are we doing in America at that? How different is the church to the world? Sometimes wouldn't you rather be hanging with the world than with the church? You got the joyless bodies, you know, the, the legalistic do's and don'ts. You got the worldly bodies that are no different than country clubs. And then you got the middle ground wondering what they're supposed to We are the body of Christ, supernaturally knit together to do not what in the flesh we would desire to do, but what the Holy Spirit who dwells in us calls us and equips us to do. This is crazy talk, what I'm saying here today. But what I want you to understand, what I think God is trying to show us here is, this is some serious business we're called to, isn't it? You understand when, when you come to faith in Christ, it's not like you're going through Costco and you pick Jesus too. I like, I like this and this and that house and that job and that sports team and these clothes. And yeah, throw in Jesus and I'll throw him in the closet of my life too. No. When you come to faith in Jesus, he says to you, all that is mine. Your very own life is mine. And depending on how you see Jesus, that is either the scariest proposition or the most wonderful proposition that exists. Because the Bible tells us you have been bought at a price, the blood of Christ. Your life is no longer your own. It belongs to Him. And God chooses how our lives are to be used, and in part He chooses to knit us together as the body of Christ, a.k.a. the church in this world, to be a witness of Christ to a lost world. Everybody got that? We can go home now? We're all set. Church is perfect. We'll be unpacking this in the coming weeks. But on top of that, the Holy Spirit comes, and then it gets crazy. After the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, and that's why Pentecost, there are two what's. And I think these two what's are often seen as one thing, and they're just confused and missed, and let me explain what's happening. The day of Pentecost came, they were all the disciples gathered in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty wind. It filled the entire house and divided tongues of fire came on them. Was it what? God just got crazy. Mighty wind, a sound like a mighty wind and divided tongues as if flames. What is going on here? You know what this is called? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is a promise of, of chapter 1 being fulfilled. You know there was no wind, right? Read that closely. A sound as of a wind. So you got the sound, but nothing's blowing. You know a tornado, that chugga-chugga sound that comes in, like, like the freight train coming in? Imagine the sound, but the sky's clear. No wind. Hurricane, that howling, ripping noise, blowing between things and through things. Imagine that sound, but nothing's blowing. That's weird, isn't it? It's a little supernatural. Why is God doing this? And it's centered on this house. Well, next week we're going to see in, in more full why, but what we have here is literally God blowing on the house. The breath of God. You remember Adam and Eve? God formed Adam in Genesis 2, and after he formed him, what did he do? He blew breath into his nostrils to give him life. God is blowing life into his church. Body two. Body one, Christ in heaven. Body two, the church. God is blowing life into the earth. Into the earth. Into the church. This is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you come to faith, you don't have to wait 50 days now. When you come to faith, you are immediately receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
at the moment of regeneration, salvation, when you cross over from, from death to life, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It just means the Holy Spirit lives in you. Dirty little secret, it doesn't necessarily feel any different, and there's no tingly sensation that has to happen. It just kind of happens, and you don't know. Can you tell me the exact moment in time as a Christian that you crossed over from death to life? You can't. You can tell if you've crossed over from death to life, but you can't tell me the exact moment. You know why? It's a work of God. It's not the moment a tear dropped out of your eye, or you got the goosebumps, or you heard angelic music. It's a moment in time that you don't necessarily feel anything different. So you know what God does here? He sends divided tongues as of flames. Again, this isn't touch and burn fire. These guys have received the Holy Spirit. They know there's this wind event. They don't fully understand. So God graciously reveals to them what happened by sending divided tongues as of flames. Now, if we're sitting in a room and divided tongues as of flames show up, I have a feeling we might be like, what the heck is going on? Somebody give me some of that ambient PM or AM stuff that, you know, all these people taking this, this drug accidentally and going loopy. Tom Brokaw had to go to the hospital and I don't, you didn't hear the news this week? Well, I'm digressing into the news. But if you saw a, a divided tongue as a fire just show up in the floor here, you'd probably be like, what? But these guys, they would know something's going on. These guys were versed in the Old Testament, right? When Abraham had his covenant with God cut, you remember there was a sacrifice and a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through. It's Genesis 15, if you don't believe me. When Moses had an encounter with God, it was at some weird kind of bush. What was the bush doing? Burning. Was it burning up? No. Strange fire. God led the Israelites in the wilderness in a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. When God came down on Mount Sinai to give the, the commandments, He came down in fire, Exodus 19. The tabernacle, God dwelled in it in a cloud of fire. Elijah and Elijah had chariots of fire. Remember those things? The Elijah taken up in a chariot of fire. Elisha, when the, the army came to attack him, there were chariots of fire surrounding. The fire represents God's presence. These guys know this. And all of a sudden, two and two go together. Jesus promised us something. God just blew something. Oh my gosh, now we knew what he blew. They knew at that moment they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God himself, the Holy Spirit, dwelled in them. Now stop and think about that. We often refer to Jesus as a he and the Holy Spirit as an it, don't we? You understand the Holy Spirit is fully God. It's the neglected God. But the Holy Spirit is fully God. And where does the Holy Spirit dwell? In us. Where? Well, right here, under your heart... I don't know physically where it dwells in us. It's not contained by, by physical space per se. But the Holy Spirit really and truly dwells in us. Now stop and think about that. God lives in you as a Christian. Does that kind of blow your mind if you slow down with it? God lives in you. God who created everything by His Word eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful God lives in you. That's crazy. That is utterly and completely crazy. Who here walks around all day just glowing, literally and emotionally, at the thought of and the, and the fact of God dwells in you? 
how can you forget God dwells in you? Yeah, I don't, I don't go to the store with Charlie and come home and be like, oh my gosh, Lord, I forgot he was with me. I just, I lost focus. You know, he's been gone a couple hours. Not a big deal. So how do I forget that God is with me? How do you do that? Well, look what happens next. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. I said there are two events. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Come to faith, you got it. I don't care how horrible you live. If you have actually come to faith, you have the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, I don't want you to dabble the fine line of, well, God, how bad can I be in obedience and still actually be a disciple? Don't start dabbling there, because you probably ain't a disciple. But, no matter, well, what I'm saying is, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Not all Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think, folks, that in the context of our country, because of all the stuff we have, and I am the chief amongst all sinners of love and stuff. I mean, I saw they got a 90-inch flat panel TV, and I think, you know, God might want to entrust that to me. I am the chief sinner of love and some stuff. But Jesus warns us about the stuff in this world, doesn't he? It's insulation between us and God if we're not careful. He tells a rich young man, what must I do to be saved? You know, oh, you've done all this? Well, give everything you have away. All the stuff you guys have, could you give it away? He's not telling you to, but could you? Everything. Take it not just on the physical material stuff. Everything you've been entrusted with from your kids to your house to your 401k. If God said, give it to me, could you give it to him? You see how the more we have, we fight like dogs to acquire more and more and to have more and more. And all we're really doing, if we're not careful, is insulating our stuff from God. And the more insulated we are, the less likely it is that event two, we become filled with the Holy Spirit. You got it. But there's an important reason you want to be filled with it. You know why? Because if you are, you speak in tongues. How many people speak in tongues? If you don't, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Guys, I've gotten phone calls from people. It goes like this. Do you believe all Christians have to speak in tongues if they've truly received the Holy Spirit? And I'm just like, good Lord, stop. I don't do that. I'm like, I used to say no, and I get hung up on. Now I'm like, well, do you? Yeah, why? Well, it's a fair question. These folks spoke in tongues. Read the book of Acts. You'll see it happen again and again and again. They receive the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. I have never spoken in tongues. Have I not received the Holy Spirit? Has anybody here not ever spoken in tongues? You guys not really Christians? What's going on? Well, let's see what it is. The word tongues, you can't work around it. It means foreign languages. So we're not talking about bizarre utterances that make no sense. Okay? I'm not, I'm not going to touch on the, the, the utterances that make no sense right now. We can talk about that another time. But this would be like me speaking Chinese. I know no Chinese. Never been able to comprehend the language. It is beyond my intellectual capacity. I am thankful God put me in America with a simple language. But if all of a sudden I started... Speaking in China, Mandarin, you all be like, oh man. And then what if I blew it into some Greek and a little bit of German? These guys are speaking actual earthbound languages. We're, we're reversing the curse of Babel here. Okay? These guys weren't running around all crazy. 
you know, just uttering weird sounds. They're speaking languages that they don't know. As they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Is that a sign of being filled by the Holy Spirit? No. It's a result of being filled by the Holy Spirit. And why is God doing that? We'll unpack that more next week. But as you continue here through 5 through 13, during Pentecost, about a million people would be packed into Jerusalem for this feast from all over the place. And when these guys, they, they hear this weird noise, this wind blowing but no wind, and they know it's coming from this house, and people start coming out, what's going on? I heard a tornado blow through, but nothing happened. Was there a hurricane? What was that noise? And all of a sudden, these guys, these Galileans, Galileans were common folk. These were farmers from the backwoods. These were not educated people. And they're speaking all of these languages native to these people. This doesn't look normal. And what are they speaking? They're declaring the wondrous works of God. So if I went to China and I start blowing Mandarin praises to God, people are going to come out after the tornado sound came through and they're going to be like, what the heck just happened? Oh my gosh, there is a God who is in control of all things and His praises are being declared so we know this is from God. And you'll see next week, Peter stood up to speak and 3,000 people came to faith. You want to see Chester County come to faith? Go outside, command God to throw tongues of fire on you after blowing a tornado sound through and, and sing His praises in foreign languages. And people will either look at you like you're crazy and drunk, which this says, or they're going to hang around and say, what is going on here? Now, we've not done that much, have we? We've not been out there in the world living in such a way that people either look at us and say, you are flat out stinking drunk on grape juice, which is what this says. I'll show you that in a minute. Or, my word, that is, that is a miraculous act that God is doing through you. Can you tell me what's going on? Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and come to glorify God in the day of Christ Jesus. Does that verse really mean be a nice, upstanding, moral citizen? My mom is one of the nicest, most upstanding, moral citizens that I know. She's not a Christian. Non-Christians are often nicer and more morally upstanding than Christians. Shh, don't tell anybody I said that. I think what that verse is talking about is live a life of unadulterated obedience to God where you are so consumed with and focused on Him that you will be repetitively filled with the Holy Spirit. This filling thing, back to that. A few weeks ago, I wrote a, a midweek thought on that. You guys remember that one? There, there's a command in Scripture in Ephesians that we are to be filled by the Holy Spirit. How do you get filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, you open your mouth and you look with a mirror and you see how... No. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the word filled means totally consumed with and controlled by. Now, how many people here are totally... Again, don't put your hands up. Mine's only up to show you what to do. How many of you are totally consumed with and controlled by the Holy Spirit in every area of your life? Do you want to be? What we need to do to be filled by the Holy Spirit is to walk in obedience, to begin to crave Him. How do you begin to crave Him? Well, that doesn't happen on your own. Dwell richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you, is what God says. Okay? You can't you can't perform a miraculous work of God by human program and structures. If you, if you really want to love God deeply and know Him intimately and see Him use you in mighty ways to open the eyes of people to the truth, you can't fudge it. 
I don't care if it's your kid, your neighbor, your family member, your coworker, you can't fudge it. We talked about the billion dollar Christian, remember? If I offered you a billion dollars, could someone love Jesus? You can, it's a supernatural work. But God will use us individually and collectively as his church most powerfully as we're filled. Filled is an event that happens for a period of time with a specific purpose and it can happen over and over and over and over again. Look at what happens here. These guys are filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately he begins to declare the wondrous works of God and he preaches the gospel. Go throughout the, old, the, the, the book of Acts and look at what happens when people are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's an immediate act that is taking place to glorify God. God's not going to fill you with the Holy Spirit to hang out in your den and get goosebumps. God's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit to go out and love this world and be a witness to Him in this lost world. He's going to light you aflame so people will come and see you burn. And they'll ask, why are you burning? Or they'll laugh while you burn, but they're going to see you burning up for something. That's called the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what took place here. And that's what can take place in our lives, but it happens as we walk in obedience, as we let the Word of Christ dwell richly in us. And we have to stop and think about something. Do you really want to see people around you come to faith? It's a serious question. Don't just nod your head. I want you to think about it. Do you really want to see people who are not Christians, whether they live in your house, whether they live on your block, whether that you work with them, do you really want to see them come to faith or do you kind of just not care? When you think about going to heaven, are you most excited to go to heaven because you get to hang out with your family, you never get sick, you never get hurt anymore, or are you excited to go to heaven because you get to see God unadulterated, in perfect form, with no sin, and come to know Him better and better day by day? Truth be told, folks, the answer is yes a little bit on both, but it shouldn't be. Because we need to count the cost. It's tough to be a disciple of Christ. People aren't always going to love you. You're not going to fit in. But when you see what you have, when you understand who dwells in you and what you have become, little by little, you seek to live for God's glory and you experience being filled by the Holy Spirit and being used powerfully in this lost world. Because that's what's going on here. This whole tongues thing. Let me just unpack what's going on for a minute. You do not have to speak in tongues to be a Christian. I personally do not believe this is a gift that has been removed. I do think it's bizarre. Some missionaries to foreign countries profess to have the gift of tongues and then go to language classes. If you got the gift, use the gift. Um, I do think it exists. Um, it confuses me in part. The, the utterances, the unexplainable uh, utterances, there needs to be someone to interpret those. We'll leave that for another time. Um, but... Look at what happens in the book of Acts. Samaritans speak in tongues. Gentiles speak in tongues. Disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples. What's going on here? God is revealing that when these people receive the Holy Spirit, they're receiving it in the same way and there's no difference between the disciples of Christ who got the Holy Spirit and the Gentiles who got the Holy Spirit. Same gift. Why? Because in the presence of the apostles, God is showing them there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, man or woman. You have all received the same baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I will fill you the same way if I so desire, but there is no difference. Don't you think, disciples, you have a better gift than they do? Or I view you differently than I view them. You are one in Christ. You are one body. That is why people have been given this gift of tongues in the book of Acts. It's showing the unity in the body. 
that there is no difference. You see that? You do not need to speak in tongues today. This is a, a unique situation. But that's what tongues is. So y'all got a bunch of theological fact there, right? So just go write it down somewhere and get out of here. I can't do that to you. What do we do with all this? Well, I think we do four things. We need to understand who we are as a church. It's serious business. Who are we as a church? Why are we as a church? What are we to be as a church? Now, I started out by asking if there was anywhere else you'd rather be right now than here. And the reality is probably, right? Picking up your Powerball winnings of $300 million, maybe. Um, the beach, nice day for the beach. But when we're focused on Christ properly, when we understand who dwells in us and who we've become, I'll touch that in number two, there ain't nowhere you should rather be than right here. Now, I'm not implying that God's Grace Bible Church is the only place you should want to be on Sunday. Okay? There, there are some other churches that, that are awesome to gather together with, with other believers. I won't give you names because you might go there and you have to stay here. What I'm saying is, gathered with a group of wheat who have been knit together into one body at the cost of the blood of Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's a pretty stinking exciting place to be. You go to the Super Bowl to watch the Eagles win it this year. That's awesome, right? But you know you ain't really part of the celebration on the field. And in two years, nobody knows who won that thing. But imagine if you're part of the celebration and you didn't win the, the Vince Lombardi trophy. You won eternal life. Then perish. Never goes away. You're the, you're the king's kid. Guys, princes and princes were gathered together as children of the Most High God to worship Him, to come to know Him better and be equipped to serve Him. We're to love one another as Christ loved us because there's a lost world watching. And this is serious business that we've been called to. And we can go out into the world and watch the Eagles win the Super Bowl. But we go out in the world as wheat, knit together into a loaf of bread. You understand that? Because it's serious business. One day Christ is going to come back. And we're the rescue squad until he comes back. Number two, understand who you are. We're to live lives worthy of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 6. Check this one out. 1 Corinthians 6. i got to calm down. I'm sweating without that fan on me now. 1 Corinthians... You come up here. I'll go over there. 1 Corinthians 6.19. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You understand what God just said there? You are not your own. I own you. I bought you at the price of my very own son. And I turned you into a temple. And I dwell in you right this very moment. So live like it. Don't go dragging me into the gutter. Don't go soiling me with, with your sin. You live for my glory because I dwell in you. Do you think back in the day of the tabernacle day, God's dwelling in a, in a cloud of fire. Somebody walks in there all like lackadaisical coming up on the tabernacle. I was drinking late last night, but I'm praising the Lord today. You, you think they'd make it in real well? Or, or in the temple days of holy of holies? Hey, hey, Peyton, let's go look inside the holy of holies. I know they say we'll die, but let's go see what's in there. You think people will go creeping into the holy of holies? Well, you know what we are? Now, praise God that we live in this present time of grace. 
Praise God that Christ died for us. But understand, guys, this is not, this is not a license to sin. We are the temple of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. That means you've got to do the hard work of starting to work on focusing on God, caring about the things of God, and walking in obedience. Because little dirty rotten secret, when you come to faith, all of a sudden you don't want to just do what God wants you to do. Do you? Sometimes you're like, oh God, I don't really want to do that. So I'll justify it a million ways around it. Uh, I don't want to tell people how much you love them because they might not like me and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward, so you do it. Plus you're God and there are a lot of people here who say they're Christians, so surely someone else will do it, so I just won't do it. Stop it. You're not your own. If God says go, you got to go. Well, God, I know what you say to people and I know what you say in your word, but that doesn't apply to me. Stop, stop, stop. God's pretty clear. God tells us certain things we should do and we shouldn't do, and as we understand who He is and why He calls us to it, do it, we start to do it. Now, I've got to ask you this question. Think about this. These guys were used powerfully. You'll see throughout the book of Acts how powerfully they were used. No? Do you want to be used that powerfully? Now, think about what happened to these guys. Ten out of eleven died, the other got burned in oil. You want to do that? The odds of us dying as martyrs in this country are about nil, aren't they? What's the worst that's going to happen to us if we're living for God's glory? People might call us drunk, proverbially. They might laugh at us. We might not fit in with the cool group. What happened that these guys were willing to die for their faith, but we have such a hard time even living for ours? They knew who God was, and as they walked in obedience, they experienced the filling of God. They saw what God did through them, and when you get a taste of that, when you taste and see how good the Lord is, you understand why the man who takes refuge in Him is blessed. I just spun the Isaiah passage around. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no want, no lack. How would you like to go through life with no worries? How would you like to go through life knowing that you are perfectly cared for, no matter what's happening around you? Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to shake and fear, do you? Because you know who walks with you and whose rod and staff protect you and who leads you beside still waters. we got to do this, guys. we got to understand who we are as a church and why, who we are as individuals and why, and whose we are. Because as we understand whose we are, and walk in obedience to Him, we get out of this myth of worldly security and into the certainty of God's safety, the strong tower that He is. And then we need to function at full power. Do you really want to see people come to faith? Do you know how that happens? So like, say you're sitting in Jerusalem at this time. Hey guys, I got this great idea. Let's get some cool pyrotechnic equipment and some sound system. And blow these weird noises to get people to come out here. And then put a hologram of fire. And then we'll all practice with Rosetta Stone. Foreign languages real quick for like a week. And we'll yell praises of God in foreign languages. And then they'll come. And then Peter, you stand up and throw the gospel at them. It don't work, does it? These guys, simple Galilean, backwoodsy guys. Farmer types. You see throughout scripture, these guys are made fun of. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's that area. These guys have wacky accents. Remember when, when Peter was going with John by the coal fire when they were taking Jesus away and that little servant girl knew that he was a Galilean? Because I had the backwoods accent of the Jerusalem area. These guys were, were common folks. 
we got to throttle up and work at full power because as we do, God will do amazing things in our lives. If we don't, I don't know what the consequences are, but they're not good. I can give my kids an intellectual dumping of theological facts about God. I can't make them love Jesus. So what I can do is I can walk in obedience. I can pray that God will fill me with the Holy Spirit and set me aflame so my kids can watch me burn for 18 years in a love for Christ and trust that God will work through that. As we go out into the world to our places of work, around our neighborhoods, wherever we may be, do we want to ask God to light us aflame for the world to see or do we want to sit back, live for our glory, and one day meet Jesus? This is why we're doing this study, Don't Waste Your Life. Because the day you meet Jesus, he's not going to be impressed by what you acquired. He's going, to be, he's going to be impressed with how burned up you got for his glory. You understand that? One day this is over like that. And God calls us to a reckoning. How'd you do with what I entrusted you? I don't want any of us looking at our toes, shaking our heads. I want us looking up with a smile. Because we got all we need. Didn't we talk about that two weeks ago? But to pull it off, we need to remember a few things. We need to remember who draws and who saves people. You cannot make a person love Jesus. You can't. But God can use you in the process. And remember that. It takes all the pressure off of you. All you do is walk in obedience to God. He'll use you in crazy ways, but He will use you. Remember what took place so that you could be a temple. Why did God turn you into a temple? How did He turn you into a temple? At the price of His very own Son. Why? Because God said, I'm going to give my very own son to make these humans miserable. I'm going to make them obey me or go to hell. And I'm going to send my son to die on a cross so that they have to do what I tell them to do. And they just have to wear this jewelry all around and just always talk about Jesus and be miserable or go to hell. No! Do you understand? Think about this. Those of you who have kids. You know how much you love your kids? You know, you know how you would literally give up your life for your kid? Hey, if someone pulled a, pulled a knife on your kid and said, I'm going to kill your kid, or I'm going to kill you, you choose. How many of you as parents would say, well, kill my kid? Right? You don't even think about it. You would lay down your life for your child, period. Even if they were annoying the heck out of you. You would lay down your life for your... Now, God's love for us, a billion times more powerful. You understand? That's how much God loves you. And He laid down His life for you, so that you can live an eternal relationship with Him. And it's not all about you. Because you know who else He loves? All of them. All those people somewhere else who don't know Him. Who God desperately desires for them to have eternal life too. You say, well, why God doesn't just make them believe? Well, that's not how God chose to work. God chose to work this way. God chose to work at His plan of redemption by sending His very own Son to die on the cross so that whoever would believe would have eternal life and not perish. And then after his son was risen, his son rose to heaven to the right hand of God, sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us as believers. And like it or not, folks, God made us into the body of Christ, number two. And we're to be a living witness in this lost world, and we're to go out and declare the love of God and declare his mighty works in a lost world, because how are they going to believe unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless we preach? And how are we going to preach unless we're sent? Oh, you're sent. you got the Holy Spirit. So use your feet like God calls us to use them. Use our mouths as he calls us to use them, because God loves those people. And we know He loves those people because He's shown us His love for us. And He tells us, guys, look at how much I love you. Look at what I've done for you. Go and tell them. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of these people. Open their ears so they could hear. We're going to look a little crazy out there. That's the bad news. 
But the good news is there are some out there who will believe. And when you see someone come to faith, it changes things. All of a sudden, you watch a person cross over from death to life. And you know that for all of eternity, that person's salvation is secure and they will dwell in the presence of God forever and you can have a party with them in heaven from, from now until forevermore where everything starts to pale in comparison. But even more so knowing that God is so pleased with you at that moment because of how He worked through you. So what I want to end with is this. Remember who it is who made you a temple. Remember how much He loves you and remember how much He loves other people and understand what He calls us to. And it's hard work, guys. It's incredibly hard work. And that's why Christ says we have to daily die to self. Take up your cross and follow me. Doesn't mean put on the nice necklace in the morning. It means count the cost. This isn't going to be easy. My path is narrow and it's bumpy, but I'm walking with you. I'm empowering you. And the bumps are going to grow your faith. But you've got to trust me. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. But we get so easily distracted, don't we? Guys, there are, guys, there are a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus. There are not very many people out here today who are declaring the wondrous works of God. Are there? There aren't many people whose lives are even matching a declaration of the wonderful works of God. Jesus says, when I come back, will I even find faith on this earth? It's a fair question. What I want you to take out of this today, well, we're going to begin to unpack more so, and I want you also to understand that these first few chapters of Acts are very much setting the stage for what we're going to be getting into. Is this some serious business we've been called to now? This is an awesome privilege, and it's an awesome responsibility. It's an awesome privilege to be loved by God the way we are. It's an awesome responsibility to be a child of God who's entrusted with the gospel in a lost world that on our own we can't even share. But through he who dwells in us, we can't fail to be successful in our calling. Let's pray. Father God, I feel as if I've dumped a lot of facts out there and a lot of facts have come through my mind this week. And I pray you would take these from just intellectual concepts and make them real. Please help us understand not just with our minds that, that we are your temple, but understand what that means in our hearts and to live like that. Help us not just know in our minds that the disciples were full of the Holy Spirit, but to experience the reality of that as we walk in daily obedience. Help us to not just read stories of people coming to faith, but to be used in the process of you drawing many people to faith. Help us to have a love for one another as you love us and to love those who don't know you with the sacrificial love you have for them as well. God, please help us. As all of the Old Testament scriptures point to you, help our lives be an arrow that always point to you. Help us not fall into the error of, of monastic drudgery and removing ourselves from the world and feeling that it's wrong to laugh or celebrate or have things or rejoice, because God, that's not true. But help us to not be consumed by this stuff. Help us to not be distracted by this stuff. But in all things, in all circumstances, give praise to you. God, allow us to enjoy the, the, the gifts you've entrusted to us. And thoroughly enjoy the heck out of them. And do it for your glory. So that the lost world may see how those who love you live. And we may please you well with how we carry out our days. God, help us understand this serious responsibility. Help us understand the reality of the fact that you, God... The Elohim, El Shaddai, El Roy, the strong tower. You dwell in us right this very moment. That you are as real as the day is long. And right this very moment, God, you are in our midst. And though we can't see it with our own eyes, 
By faith we know with certainty that you are here, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that one day, when we cross over from physical life on this side of eternity to the other, and our eyes are open and able to see, as they were fully meant to see, and we gaze into your eyes, Jesus Christ, that it will all be worthwhile, we know. That whatever we go through now, we'll understand what Paul says when he says it pales in comparison to the joy he will have. I pray, God, that you help us live as a people set aflame for you through the power of the Holy Spirit for your glory. Amen. We're going to take communion together as a church family. And as we take communion, um, there is much we can think about and celebrate. Obviously, it represents the body and blood of Christ poured out for us, broken for us. But doesn't it also represent the fact that we are a temple? We don't go to church. We are the church. We're the body of Christ. That body was broken so that we might become His body today. That blood was shed. That life blood was shed in Christ so that we may have the life of God Himself dwell in us. Let's think about that as we partake today. Let's, let's praise God for the fact that He has knit us together into the body of Christ. Let's praise God for the fact that He has drawn us together as a local body of Christ for His glory. And let's just praise God for the fact that He loved us so much that He sent His only Son for us as we celebrate today. Um, Matt will start some music. I invite you to come forward and I'll close with a benediction as we finish.